بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن سيدنا وحبيبنا ومولانا محمد عبده ورسوله أما بعد فقد قال الله سبحانه وتعالى في القرآن المجيد بعد أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وقل رب زدني علما وقال تعالى إنما يخشى الله من عباده العلماء إن الله عزيز غفور وقال النبي عليه الصلاة والسلام أغد عالما أو متعلما أو مستمعا أو محبا ولا تكن خامسا فتهلك والخامسة أن تبغض العلم وأهل العلم أو كما قال صلى الله عليه وسلم Respected elders, brothers and sisters, students, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made certain needs in this world, human needs. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created solutions for those needs. There is an... In- a natural need to drink water. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hence has created large bodies of sweet water in the world, springs, rivers, rain. There is a need to breathe oxygen. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created a whole system of oxygen coming into this world. The ulama explain that the greater the need, however greater the need is, that is how much Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala proportionately provide solutions to fulfill that need. So from the needs of water, drink, food, of course the need for a marriage, the need for all other things in the world, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has provided solutions and avenues in a permissible and halal way where we can fulfill that. But from the educational needs, psychological needs, spiritual needs, physical needs that a human being has, Muslim be it or non-Muslim, what is the greatest need that the human being has? The greatest need as a Muslim, we know the answer for that. What is the ultimate need? The ultimate need of a human being. And we have been taught that that is indeed Hidayah. Hidayah guidance is the ultimate need for any human being, for any jinn. All other needs, why we say ultimate need? Because if all other needs are fulfilled, if this need is not fulfilled, then that person is an utter failure. And if none of the other needs are fulfilled, yet if he gets this need fulfilled, then apparently in the eyes of the world and the dwellers of this world, he is a failure. But in the eyes of Allah and in the eyes of every strong believing Muslim, he is successful. If he has this need fulfilled. Hence, every single day, in every single prayer, in every single rak'ah, we have been taught by none other than Allah Jalla Jalaluhu that we should ask Him to fulfill this need. We have not been asked five times a day in our prayer to ask for food, for ask for sustenance, to ask for water or drink or anything else in our prayer. But one thing we know that every single prayer includes Surah Al-Fatiha. And Surah Al-Fatiha is not complete without this ayah. Al-Mustaqim. O Allah, guide us along the straight path. Even the Prophet ﷺ, every salah he performed, he would be reciting this. 
Whether it be tahajjud, whether it be jum'ah, whether it be eid, whatever salah it was, the Prophet ﷺ is asking that, Ya Allah, guide me to the straight path. Because there is no limit to how guided you can become. Guidance is something which is perpetually, always you can upgrade, you can always move forward. There is no limit to how much guidance you can have. And Rasulullah ﷺ wasn't that he was misguided. But rather he is constantly asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the higher levels of guidance. Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullahi alayhi, he, he has written a very comprehensive book on iyyaka na'budu wa iyyaka nasta'een. And he has written 500 levels. 500 levels of hidayah. 500 levels of guidance. And the very first basic level of the guidance that he writes is al-yaqbah. To be awakened. To be awakened. To be in a state where you know what's happening around you. Where you're not in, in a slumber. Just going along with life the way it is. You know, 8 to 5, 8 to 4, Monday through Friday. Just moving along. How's life? It's as usual. That is what you call gnome. That's what you call sleep. You may be thinking that you and I have a very active life. From, on social media, at home. We visit a set number of newspapers we have to read online. In print we have to read. Every week we have to go through the print magazines as well. We're very up to date and we have a very active life. But if a person doesn't know where he came from, where he's headed, who's his Lord, who's his creator, then most definitely he is in a deep slumber. So the first level of guidance is yaqda. You have to be woken up. Okay, what's going on with me? Where am I? And then we can hope to give him some guidance. When a per sick person comes for treatment, if he's sleeping, and he's got to get some work done, we have to speak to him. We cannot speak to him if he's asleep. We have to wait till he's awake, and then we can address him and ask him and see what's wrong. So this is what is the ultimate need of society, of humanity in all ages, is hidayah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a sunnah, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a qudrah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a way of doing things and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has most definitely the ability for everything. The ability to do everything is that Allah can grant you food right now in your stomach. Not even intravenously, not through going to dinner, eating somewhere. No, as you're sitting here, all of a sudden you feel your belly full. That is most definitely doable for Allah. However, we see that that qudra Allah does not exercise too often. It was exercised in the story of the people of the cave for 300 plus years, who lived, who slept, but who were alive, and Allah was feeding them, without any apparent means. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has usually a sunnah, a sunnah, a methodology, which He acts upon. Allah says in the Qur'an, وَلَن تَجِدَ لِسُنَّةِ اللَّهِ تَبْدِيلًا وَلَن تَجِدَ لِسُنَّةِ اللَّهِ تَحْوِيلًا You will never find any change in Allah's sunnah. You will never find any change in Allah's methodology and the way He does things. Specifically, how does that relate to what we're speaking about? That is guidance. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can guide anyone however He likes. But there is a method Allah has chosen for guidance. And that is by using two things. One is the kitabullah, the scriptures of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And number two, are the Rijalullah, the men of Allah, or the messengers and their companions and those who follow on their footsteps. These are the 
two tools that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses in order to impart hidayah, guidance. So this is very important to understand this premise before we move any, any further. Because if a person who doesn't agree on this pr premise with me, he won't be able to benefit from the remainder of the program, from the remainder of the slides. As Muslims, of course, we hope inshallah ta'ala that all of us are on the same page. But this is meant as a reminder for myself, first of all, and all of you. That guidance is our main need. Number two, is that there's a way Allah gives guidance. And that is through, through those two methods. Anytime and every time when society was in, in the age of darkness and was far away from the way Allah intended for humanity to live and they were indulged in all sorts of sins and polytheism and fuhsh and, and uh, idolatry, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down a prophet. Sometime with a new book and sometime with the previous book, with the previous scripture. But this was something that Allah always did in order to guide people. And similarly, so is the case with Ummah, our Ummah, the Ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that was, as mentioned today earlier, in the khutbah of Jum'ah, was in utter ignorance, completely, completely devoid of all sorts, of any type of humanity, any type of compassion. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saw and had mercy on that community, the nation that was living in the age of darkness. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And he did not send down just the Prophet ﷺ, but he sent down the greatest mu'jizah and the miracle that the world has ever seen. The miracle of the Qur'an. The miracle of the Qur'an. Unprecedented, unparalleled. Every single ayah, every single passage is something which Allah challenges the world. And he says, In kuntum fi raybin mimma nazzalna ala abdina, fa'tu bi surah. Allah says, if you have any doubt that this is revelation in the truth, then I challenge you, فَأْتُوا بِسُورَةٍ مِّن مِثْلِي He first challenges them to bring a whole Qur'an. Bring a Qur'an similar to this, 114 chapters. Then when they, are not, they weren't able to do that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, I will lower the bar for you. فَأْتُوا بِسُورَةٍ Then bring simply one surah, like similar to any surah of the Qur'an. And then when they were not able to do that, the bar was lowered further and they were asked to bring one verse, one ayah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that if they were to all gather together, Ya ayyuhan nas, O people, duriba mathalun fastami'ula. An example has been given. So now listen, Allah says, Inna min dunillah. Indeed, those false gods that you call out to, they will not be able to create even a fly. Even if all of them put together, come together to create one fly, they won't be able to do that. Where are they going to create the ruh? They may create a heart. They may create a tongue. They may create, create, this I mean create. You're taking something which already was created. And now you're taking cells from there and recreating something. Create, that's not what we call ibda'ah. That's not what's called khalq. Khalq is to create out of thin air. Khalq is to create without absolutely no blueprints. Nothing to look at. No cells of any sort. To come from, from thin air, from no raw materials, you create something. 
Tell me, where is science today? Where is medicine today? They're doing all sorts of implants. Show me one implant that is made out of thin air. No elements from this world. Because to make a cake, bake a cake, mashallah, that's a talent too. But really, open up the box, put in the, the, the flour, put in a couple of eggs, and mashallah, it's done. How hard is that? When you have the raw materials in front of you and you got to put it together, yes, it is definitely a talent in order you don't mix up things. But if everything has been given to you in proportion, not six eggs, but two. Not two cups of oil, but one. Not two packets, but rather one packet. You know exactly, I got to do this and mix it and throw it in the oven. That is what humanity does. That's what we do. We take pieces of metal from here, pieces of aluminum from there, copper, and put it together and we got an airplane, we got a satellite, we got all of this and it gets to our head that subhanAllah, we are the creators. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only creator, all you and I have done is simply manage to put things together in place. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, they won't even be able to create a fly. They will not be able to create one ayah similar to the Qur'an. That's why the Qur'an is known as the greatest miracle. Now, the power of the Qur'an, as you heard in Salatul Maghrib, and as, as here we read, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, had we sent down the Qur'an to a mountain, any mountain you choose, you would have seen that whole mountain humbled and fall apart out of awe from, of Allah and out of the immense load and burden of the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, we cite such examples for humanity so that you may ponder that how can I take the Qur'an lightly? How can I say, I'm impressed by some other literature? I'm impressed by this writer. Have we even tried to read the Qur'an? It's, it's so you know, sad when a person gives a khutbah. Someone says, you quote the Qur'an, but why don't you quote such and such author? And majority of the time, a non-Muslim author. What he said is so beautiful. Really? I understand it's very beautiful. But here you have the word of Allah and you create it. I don't care if Muslim, non-Muslim, greatest. How, what is the comparison? The word of Allah, the spoken word of Allah. How in the world can anyone speech? Uh, 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 Further than the truth would be that of someone who disbelieves in Allah. How can his word have any weight in in comparison to the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says you have to ponder. You have to think. For the one who doesn't understand the value of the Quran, he'll take it lightly. But the one who understands it, he should know that this is the power that if it were to be revealed on a mountain it would have fallen apart. The question is then, why didn't Allah do that? Why didn't Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveal it on a mountain? Is it really just because it would fall apart? Yes, most definitely that's one reason, okay. But there's more reasons to that. The Quran could have been revealed on Mount Jabal Nur. Everyone would be instructed, now revelation passage such and such has been revealed. Quickly go and receive the revelation from Mount Nur, from Cave Hira. The papers are there. Go pick them up. CDs are there. Flash drives are set aside for you. Or they will be a live broadcast from Cave Hira. How about that? And you can watch it at home, in the comfort of your home. Or the next verse will be simply text message to you. It could have been done that. Why not? Allah is Qadir. Allah most definitely could have done that. But instead, Allah never did that. Never Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down His books and His scriptures to the people directly. Instead, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose a place, a very special place for the Qur'an to reveal. Not on Mount Everest, 
not in, the, in, in, in any other part of the world or even on the Kaaba, Musharrafa. No, no. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Shu'ara, نَزَّلَ بِهِ رُوحُ الْأَمِينَ تَنْزِيرٌ مِنْ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ نَزَلَ بِهِ الرُّوحُ الْأَمِينَ عَلَىٰ قَلْبِكَ لِتَكُونَ مِنَ الْمُنْذِرِينَ بِلِسَانٍ عَرَبِيٍ مُبِينَ Allah says, وَإِنَّهُ Indeed the Qur'an is a revelation from the Lord of the worlds. Okay? It's a, it, it is a message from Allah. Subhanallah. Well, the message from Allah is so far away from me. Apparently. Apparently. Allah is far away. How is He going to communicate this with me? Nazar, okay, he sent down angels. But what about people coming in the middle and stealing it and messing it up and hijacking the message? No, no. Amin, A very trusted, the most trusted angel, the most powerful angel, who has 600 wings. One wing covers the east to the west, the other wing covers the north to the south. No one dares picks a fight with him. He is the one who brought this Qur'an down. So alhamdulillah, it came from Allah, protected. It was delivered to the world, protected. But where was it landed? You see what happens in war-torn zones, where it's trying to send you know, aid to so many countries in the world. And you see what happens, it gets packed, it's sent in a nice helicopter, you know, protected and whatnot. But when it gets dropped off, what happens? If proper precautions are not taken, then the rebels and the looters take it all over, and the people who need it the most don't get it. It's chaos. So that would happen to the Qur'an if it were to be revealed on a mountain. If it were to be revealed in a laptop on the Kaaba, you can come and take from there. What would happen to it? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose the most sublime creation, the most sublime piece of flesh in the world. And that became the landing spot of the Qur'an. What is that? Let's continue. عَلَىٰ قَلْبِكَ لِتَكُونَ مِنَ الْمُنْذِرِينَ On your heart. The heart of the Prophet ﷺ became the recipient of this Qur'an. And that is the most sublime creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The heart of Rasulullah ﷺ. So that you can become from amongst the warners. بِلِسَانٍ عَرَبِيٍ مُبِينٍ In plain, clear Arabic language. The Qur'an cannot be mentioned in any other language. It is an attempted, weak Effort to, to pass on the message of the Qur'an But that can never be called an English Qur'an Or any other type of Qur'an So my respected friends We have the ayah of the Qur'an going back to إِهْدِنَ الصَّلَاةَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ We're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for guidance We got that Because it's our need Qur'an is revealed on the heart of the Prophet ﷺ, Not anywhere else What does that tell us? That these are two inseparable elements of guidance the book of Allah and the men of Allah. You cannot separate the Qur'an from the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ from the Qur'an. If you have the Prophet and no Qur'an, you have the Qur'an and no Prophet, it's not going to work. If you have pious people without the scripture, not going to work. Have scripture without pious people who implement it, not going to work. You have to have both of these people. And not just in 600 common era, but rather in every single decade, in every single century of humanity, these two must be around. The men of Allah and the book of Allah. Let us analyze this surah again. When we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide us to the right path, look at how beautifully Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala qualifies the right path. When someone is asked, who is your teacher? He says, I don't need a teacher, I'm a Muslim. I read from the Quran. Someone's asked, where did you learn your, your, your ilm, I don't, need a, I don't need ilm, I don't need a scholar to teach me. Alhamdulillah, we have all sorts of apps, we have the great Imam, Google and the Mufti YouTube. Why in the world would I need a scholar? Okay, so then why doesn't Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say, اِهْذِنَ الصَّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ صِرَاطَ الدِّينِ 
Sirat al-Islam. Oh Allah, guide me to the straight path, the path of Islam. You want to be real? You want to be, you know, mashallah ta'ala, uh, be, uh, you want to practice Islam in an unaltered way? Then why doesn't Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, why don't we ask Allah, oh Allah, guide me to the straight path, the path of Islam, the path of deen, the path of salah, the path of zakah, the path of this, this, that, the path of five pillars, whatever you want to call it. Absolutely not. The path has not been qualified with concepts. It's not been qualified by verses or, or, or knowledge. It's qualified by what? By people. The path is qualified by people. Oh Allah, guide us to the straight path. And Allah is teaching us how to ask Him. That the path of those who you have favored, upon, showered your mercy and blessings upon them. And oh Allah, save us the path of kufr, of shirk, of disobedience. No. Didn't say that. غير الكفر والشرك. Instead, غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين. Oh Allah, save me from the path of those who've earned your wrath and those who've gone astray. Again, qualified with evil. So the good guys and the bad guys, good people and bad people. This is how Deen has been explained to us. Very important point. Have we ever thought about that? That the Deen has to be understood. In the light of people. Without that, you're not going to understand it. You're not going to understand it. It's not meant to be understood like that. Ibrahim alayhi salam, Khalilullah, the friend of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he, the father of all monotheistic religions, he loves his kids. He loves his children the way fathers do. So now he's making dua for his children. And in two surahs, Allah mentions his duas. If Allah is mentioning the statement of a prophet, MashaAllah, you know it's worthy, it's a worthy read. As all fa many fathers sitting here, most definitely we should make a note of these ayat. And as mothers as well. And read up on those ayat. And try to implement those within our own life, asking Allah for those same things. So we see, for example, he says, Oh Allah, Rabbana inni askantu min biwadin Surah Ibrahim. He says, Oh Allah, I'm leaving my children in a valley that has absolutely no vegetation. Oh Allah, Allow the people's hearts, turn the people's hearts to them. Let, let the, because they're, يعني, subhanallah, go to Makkah and Medina, you can, it's very difficult to understand this ayah. But you have to go out. As on this trip, recent trip, we went out, traveled. And when you go from Medina to Makkah or Makkah to Medina, when you travel through the desert, think about that. Think about that. For the next 300 kilometers, 200 kilometers, no gas station. Definitely no street lights, even till today. Nothing. Imagine that time. Mecca was like that. Completely surrounded with mountains. No body of water. Not a single cloud. No vegetation. No gardens. No dates. No trees. Maybe cactus or some desert plants. And, and large mountains. And worst of all, no people. And now he goes and leaves his wife and his son there. Imagine what he must be feeling at that time. So now he's saying, Ya Allah, I'm doing as you told me to do. So allow the people to turn to them and take care of them. Let people gravitate towards them. وَرْزُقْهُمْ مِنَ الثَّمَرَاتِ And O oh Allah, grant them the fruits. Grant, grant them fruits. لَعَلَّهُمْ يَشْكُرُونَ So that they may become grateful. Fruits of what? Fruits of everything. Now today you go to Mecca, you see the fruits of China. I'm not talking about fruits like apples and papaya and stuff like that. That too. That too. Completely fruits out of season. Because nothing grows there. 
from watermelons. I ate the sweetest watermelons I haven't eaten for years right now. Where watermelons are growing in Mecca? You tell me. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is providing for all sorts of fruits and then in the metaphorical sense, all sorts of you know, little gadgets, watches, jewelry, you know, clothing, all mashallah imports from China, Japan, Korea and whatnot, all sitting in the malls and the stores of Mecca. The dua of Ibrahim salam, you see it being manifested today. But that's not what he only asked. He says, Oh Allah, make me from amongst those who establish the salah. Not just pray, establish it. And make my children amongst those who establish prayer. He didn't stop there. The du'as continue. Let's quickly switch over to Surah Al-Baqarah. At the end of those ayat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Rabbana, O our Lord, وَبْعَثْ فِيهِمْ Send from amongst them, send to them, Rasulan, a messenger, minhum from amongst them. Because Ibrahim salam was not the father of Ishaq and Ismail only. He's our father as well. So he's asking, Oh Allah, allow all the people to come after me, take care of this, this, this need. And oh Allah, no one knows guidance better than in Ibrahim. He knows what it takes to be guided. So he is asking Allah that Ya Allah send to them a prophet. Because without prophet, there is no guidance. Without people, there is no guidance. This is the message that we are time and again repeating. The theme that you need to have both of these elements. So what's so special about a Nabi? Why do we need a prophet? Question may arise. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Kahf, ending Surah Al-Kahf, قُلْ إِنَّمَا أَنَا بَشَرُ Because people would take prophets out of the realm of humanity and would make them into gods. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, O Muhammad sallallahu tell them, إِنَّمَا أَنَا بَشَرُ I am but a human being. And not only that, he is a مِثْلُكُمْ Like you. What does مِثْلُكُمْ mean? He used to eat, he used to drink. Rasulullah said even when someone came and said, Ya Rasulullah, I would there's a certain individual who's gonna, who says he claims he wants to be pious. He's going to fast every day. He's going to stand up all night and he's not going to marry. Famous hadith. The Prophet addressed that person and he said, I know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more than anyone else. I have the most knowledge about Allah and I fear Allah the most. So don't try to show off your piety in front of me. There's no one who can fear Allah more than I can. However, asumu wa uftir. I fast and then I break my fast. I eat one day. I get married, of course. And I stand up in prayer and I also rest. So the Prophet ﷺ was fully human in that sense. Not in the sense of committing sins, but in the sense of in these aspects of human needs. So then what's so special of a prophet? Why do we need to follow a prophet? He says, Yuha, Allah says, Yuha ilayya. Key point. Yuha ilayya. Rev, I receive revelation. Because the existence of one Allah and the existence of hellfire and, and paradise, the existence of the day of judgment, what happens in the grave, who is going to tell you all of that? How in the world would we have known any of that? As scholars explain, the greatest gift that the Prophet ﷺ gave us is that he introduced us to Allah. Otherwise, we would have never known who Allah was. These beautiful names that we see. 
هو الله الذي لا إله إلا هو الرحمن الرحيم الملك القدوس السلام المؤمن المهيمن العزيز الجبار المتكبر الخالق البارئ المصور الغفار القهار الوهاب الرزاق الفتاح العليم القابض الباسط الخافض الرافع المعز المذل السميع البصير الحكم العدل اللطيف الخبير الحليم العظيم الغفور الشكور العلي الكبير الحفيظ المقيت الحسيب الجليل الكريم الرقيب المجيب الواسع الحكيم الله سبحانه وتعالى's names ولله الأسماء الحسنى to Allah belong all the names فادعوه بها إن لله تسعة وتسعين اسما مئة إلا واحدة من أحصاها دخل الجنة to Allah belong the ninety nine names one hundred minus one whoever memorizes that shall enter Jannah رواية في ترمذي so the greatest knowledge Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says tell them I receive the revelation that your God is one Allah and I want to mention a little you know maybe a little digression if you want to call it here but it's very important all the knowledge of the world commonly we say the Quran says very important points brothers every point here you know is things that I think Communities are huge, you know, mistaken about these. And if we can correct these principal mistakes, principal mistakes, inshaAllah ta'ala, Allah will change the tide of Islam. Whenever we speak about knowledge, automatically the crowd begins to understand this as attending a certain university and getting my bachelor's and master's. That's what ilm is about. Iqra means read science. What else, would, what else could it mean? Read and write the deen. All the virtues of seeking knowledge, it means the virtues of going to university. For every mile, you're getting hasana. Every time you sit in class, surrounded by the filth, you're only gaining hasanat. Every time you are forced to commit haram in university, always being offered from liquor to drugs and wine and women, that's all the mujahad that you have to do. The sacrifice in order to seek ilm. Because we have to seek ilm at all costs. Obviously, that's not the case. But communities think that. That any time we speak about knowledge, immediately the first thing comes to mind is our professional degrees. And if I may say this, that today knowledge, Islamic knowledge is such an oppressed, taboo topic that I have probably never spoken about this topic in a khutbah in any community, but that I have received complaints immediately after my khutbah. That the problem is that you're always even though that may be the first time in that community. But you are always speaking about Islam and religious knowledge. And do you expect the whole community to become a scholar, to become a mufti? Is that what you want? Always, immediately, as soon as my talk finishes, one person must come and say this to me. That if everyone becomes a knowledge, then who's going to donate to the masjid? If we don't have doctors, who's going to donate to the masjid? These are the exact verbatim answers that I hear. When you speak about the virtues of knowledge, this is what answers we get. When my respected brothers, this is a topic that itself requires a seminar, is a very clear thing. That knowledge, as we will address here, is that which Allah calls knowledge. That knowledge which takes you away from Allah, makes you unmindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, cannot be called knowledge. And definitely, definitely there are no rewards promised in the Qur'an and Sunnah for someone who seeks knowledge that doesn't bring him closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, فَعْلَمْ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ The greatest knowledge that you can have 
is that there's none worthy of worship except for Allah. The knowledge is the knowledge of the names of Allah. That is the ultimate knowledge, and you begin from there. That is the beginning. The beginning. If a person does not know Allah, he knows nothing. He knows nothing. And the one who doubts that cannot be a Muslim. The one who doubts that cannot be a Muslim. The one who says he has a lot of information, he's very knowledgeable. If he doesn't know about Allah, it's alright. Absolutely not. If he does not know Allah, then there's no one more ignorant than him. And there's no one more arrogant than him who claims to have knowledge after not knowing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I give you an example. All the knowledge that we have, these brothers sitting here, mashallah, we say in America, the stats we hear is that Muslims are a very educated community. That our women, people say, oh, women, women, women. Muslim, minor, uh, Muslim women are in the minority, of course. The, 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 the census show that the Muslim women are the most educated minority women in the United States. And our men are number two, with a minimum of 60% having a bachelor's degree. Okay? So the amount of professionals in our communities, no end to that. You just go to any hospital, just listen to the PA system. Go to any university hospital and see the names of the heads of departments. It's pretty obvious who's in power and who's in position in these places. At a professional education level, mashallah, the Muslims in the country, country are very educated. So let's get the knowledge very, follow along with me as I take you through this example. All the knowledge that exists in all the universities, the multi-million dollar endowment funds. There is a university in our town that has now begun a fundraising project in, our, in Chicagoland area. We usually hear masjid fundraiser, two million, one million. What was their number? Huh? Is that it? I, think, I thought it was more than that. But maybe, let's just take that number. To be on a safe side, $2.2 billion. $2.2 billion. One billion has a thousand millions. $2.2 billion, just expansion project. Expansion project. They are a fully-fledged university. MashaAllah. But look at, okay, and then you go to Harvard, and you have two, not one, two massive libraries, Six floors below the ground, six floors above the ground. You go to the Library of Congress till the eye can see books and books and books. Endowment fronts, endow endow endowment chairs, think tanks, philosophers from the time of Greeks all the way till today. Put all the knowledge that every single person in this world, all the professors, lab, uh, you know, texts and, and, and people in their, uh, you know, universities, all gathered together, and all of you here as well, of course. Put together, one side. Those who are not Muslim I'm talking about. All that knowledge that is helping us, mashallah, find the doomed airliner so quickly. All of that knowledge put together, what does it do? What does it do? It takes us, it answers. We say, oh, we have, we're very knowledgeable, we're a very, very advanced community. We're a very advanced state. How advanced are you? All of that knowledge put together will simply answer the questions and take care of your problems to a certain extent until the soul comes out of the body. And no sooner does the soul come out of that body in that university hospital that has maybe a billion dollar hospital, as soon as that soul comes out, that's it. Call all the think tanks, call all the professors, call all the physicians of the world and say, tell me what he's going through now. Tell me what, what stages of life is he in now? Does anyone have an answer? Tell me, does anyone have an answer? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. 
That is what the, that is how confined the knowledge of this world is. Every single degree that you acquire will never, ever, ever be able to give you the information of what happens once the soul departs. That is the realm of revelation and wahi. That is why it's so important for humanity and for Muslims to have the knowledge of revelation. Because without that, all they can see is still the wall. What, how big is this place compared to the world? What is this place compared to this world? Nothing. It's, it's, it's extremely minute compared to the world. But we're sitting in this room putting on telescopes, microscopes, and God knows what, and what we're analyzing the wall, thinking we have conquered the world. Not realizing that, brother, the real world starts outside of this. And that is where wahi is. But you say, no, I don't see anything. Just because you, your telescope doesn't see through the wall, your x-ray doesn't see through the wall, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Imagine someone goes to a, ch- a baby in the womb of the mother, who's alive, who's kicking, who's moving around. He says, oh baby, you know what? You are in the stomach of a person. You think he's going to believe that? He says, oh baby, you are right now in a world, in your own world. But once you come out, there's trees, there's rivers, there's oceans, there's lions, there's dogs and cats, there's a sun, there's a moon, there's all sorts of food, there's gyms, there's tall buildings. He's going to say, what, you know, if he could speak, he would say, what are you talking about? You are a big liar. I see none of that. What are you going to tell him? Just because you can't see, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Because you can't see beyond the womb of the mother. That's not my fault. You are in one part of your life. Very soon, just give it time, a couple months, and you will very quickly know that I was not lying to you. I was truthful. Exactly, in the very same manner, this whole world is like another womb. As long as a person is alive, he thinks this is all, this is it. Nothing beyond that. Jannah, Jahannam, Akhirah, facing Allah. Well, I don't see it. But just because we can't see it doesn't mean anything. A prophet came. And the prophets came and they said, Oh people, there's a day, Yomul Furqan. There's a day, Yomul Hasra. There's a day, Yomul Deen, Yomul Qiyamah. You'll have to stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Anan Nadirul Uryan. I am the warner. Open warner telling you. Every prophet came and said that. Some people believed and some people did not. So this kind this puts into perspective all the knowledge other than the knowledge of wahi. Let's absorb that. All the knowledge that exists out there other than revelation will simply help us to a certain extent till the soul is in the body. And beyond that, zip. Nothing. We don't even know what questions are happening in the grave. No one knows. They think it's all gone, dead. But our Nabi wasallam has informed us of those details. The questions of the grave, the questions of the hereafter and whatnot. So now we come to this very logical conclusion that if you want a role model in your life, then your role model must be someone who is directly connected with the creator of this world, who receives constant updates, who knows, who has the blueprint for humanity. And that was the prophets. And ending and culminating with the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Subhanallah. But Rasulullah is the last prophet. No other prophets are yet to come after him. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves humanity. Allah wants to guide people of every era. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala set up a system. And that system, the system of companions and those who followed them. The companions took the knowledge from the Prophet and then their students took the knowledge from them. 
So a lady came to the Prophet ﷺ and she had a complaint. The Prophet ﷺ listened to that, took care of that or whatever he could do. And then she said, Ya Rasulullah, if I come to you and you are gone, you're no longer here later on if I have an issue, what should I do? So the Prophet ﷺ didn't say, go read the Qur'an. Go sit in the masjid and read the Qur'an. Instead he clearly said, come and meet Abu Bakr and Umar. Come and meet Abu Bakr and Umar. The Prophet ﷺ said in a hadith, عَلَيْكُمْ بِسُنَّتِي Hold on to my sunnah. He could have stopped there. Because I'm the only one worthy of emulation. That's it. Don't follow anyone else. But then he said, وَسُنَّةِ الْخُلَفَاءِ الرَّاشِدِينَ الْمَهْدِيِّينَ And the method and the way of life of the rightly guided caliphs. And then he didn't stop there. He said, Hold on to it with your teeth. That is why those who claim that sunnah is only that which the Prophet ﷺ said are completely in error. The sunnah is that which the Prophet ﷺ said, did, and along with that, what the Sahaba Ikram said and did. If you cannot trust the Sahaba, then you cannot trust the Prophet. Because they were the best people closest to him. Yani if you say, if someone says, this is my, you know, you hear about a student of a certain institute, of a university, or of a, of a madrasa, whatnot. He's a stealer, he's, he's a murderer. Can you trust the teacher? You say, what's going on here? So if the Sahaba are not worthy of emulation, then how can you follow the Prophet? If they are such evil people, na'udhu billah, who all left the fold of Islam after he died, and fought and killed each other, that's it then how can you follow that Prophet who left such a group of people? Number one. And number two, how can you even believe in the Qur'an anymore? Because these are the Sahaba that transferred the Qur'an to us, that brought the Qur'an to us. Very subtle points I'm making here. But if you, if you say anything about the Sahaba, then most definitely you can no longer believe in the Qur'an and you can no longer believe in the Prophet Sallallahu So our deen is in line with this. The Prophet ﷺ, his immediate students, and then the successive students that come in every era. Because we need Kitabullah and Rijalullah. The men of Allah. Now, the Kitabullah, do we have a new edition? No. The final testament, the, the, the last book. As they say, the Quran can never get outdated. Because it, is never, it was never dated in the first place. It was never dated in the first place that it has an expiration. No, there's no date written on it. It is there for all times. But So the Qur'an, mashallah, that's there. But what about people? People are dying. The Prophet passed away. Abu Bakr and Umar passed away. All passed away. What are you going to do now? So in every era, there have been scholars. And there have been people who have fulfilled that role of implementing and showing to us the path of the Qur'an. Now we find an extreme. The extreme in, in, in the imbalance in people. One extreme is that we take scholars and we put them on such a pedestal that we completely disregard the Quran and the text and the uh, scripture. If the scholar said that, a scholar, there are people, I kid you not, you may have heard, there are people who claim to be scholars say, Allah, I received revelation, inspiration, that I don't have to pray anymore. I received inspiration, the music is haram from now on. I received inspiration, I mean, I've, I've heard people who sat in such, you know, gatherings, whereas people claiming to be scholars, and then mashallah, they have huge followers. People who are celebrating the birthday with a birthday cake. Okay, no, I didn't stop there. Where? In Hajj, in Arafat. In Arafat. 
sitting there celebrating the birthday of the sheikh. Someone just told me that last week. They were, you know, they watched that. So what happens? I mean, that is obviously not in the same level of someone saying, I don't have to pray. I'm just giving an example. That you sanctify someone to such an extent, whatever he says got to be true. Even it completely contradicts the Qur'an and Sunnah. But you're not praying Maghrib with us right now? No, 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 I just went to Medina and came back. I prayed Maghrib over there, don't worry. But brother, Maghrib is, 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 is shatim, it's past Isha in Medina. But don't worry, my, the time zone also changes for me. So you have people claiming stuff like that. You kid you not, there are people claiming stuff like that. And worse than that is there are people who actually believe them. Because, you know, they say, Ullun ki kamini, you know? You can find a lot of ignorant people in the world. People who can, yeah, who can be deceived. We were in Pakistan when I was studying there, and they told me of villages and such evil scholars of the first category who would go to communities. Every year they would make rounds. And they would go to communities and they would say that we will, we all want to eat zabiha. They want to eat zabiha too. But look at this, you heard of machine slaughter and hand slaughter. I'm sure you never heard of this one now. He said, we have the magical, muqaddas sanctified knife. You bring, or you bring one knife from your community. And the shaykh would charge a good sum, maybe 500 rupees or whatever the case may be. And he reads something magical and blows on it. And then he says, now till then you have license. Till the next year, all the slaughtering you do with this knife will be zabiha halal. And if you use any other knife, it's haram. You're going to go to Jahannam. You eat haram food. Okay, brother, can you teach us what you're reading? No, no, no. That, okay, this is for me. How am, I, how am I going to run my family, take care of my needs? I need my yearly income. My, you know, year, uh, renewal fees. So this is the level of ignorance in some villages. That these corrupt people uh, go and, and they, they, they you know, misuse the people's ignorance. And there are many other stories worse than this as well. So that's one extreme. The scholar said it, blindly you follow. Quran says against it, I don't know. So we are, and the other extreme is that, scholars, why in the world would you need them? Don't you think, I'm intelligent, look at me, look at my resume. I have a BA, an MA, PhD, uh, you know, uh, MD, you name it. Why in the world couldn't I study the Quran on my own? Why can't I study the Sharia? No one tells me in the office that, you know what, you need to have an instructor. I'm the manager. I'm the owner of my business. I'm the one who gives orders. Now you're telling me that I got to come take a class? I have to sit down on the ground and learn from someone? Why so? So this is the other extreme. That who says, I am too smart to be needing to, need of a scholar to teach me. Because I already, mashallah, speak Arabic. Or, you know, I, I lived in Saudi for 20 years and I can speak the colloquial street language. Which doesn't do you any good. You know? To tell you the truth, even if a person speaks classical Arabic, can you speak better Arabic than the Sahaba, than the people of those times? Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. Who can be more knowledgeable than him? He is sitting in the company of the Prophet when Abasa is revealed, and they're discussing Abasa later on, or at that time, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu comes, and he asks the Prophet if I'm not mistaken, it was him, who says, Wa Abba. The ayah of the Quran, Abba. He says, Ya Rasulullah, what is Abba? We don't know what Abba is. Abba, the word, is being revealed in their language. Ya Rasulullah, explain. Khaytul Abyad bin Khaytul Aswadi bin Fajr. That ayah, completely misunderstood by Sahaba. Until it was explained by the Prophet ﷺ. The white separates from the black. The white thread from the black thread. Each until dawn. Until the white thread can be separated from the black thread. What is he understood from that? He understood you're supposed to take two threads, put it under the pillow, and then put it up, white thread, black thread, and see. 
If you can't see the difference, you can still keep on eating. That would be good for us. Huh? MashaAllah. But Rasulullah Sallallahu taught him, this is, not, this is not what the Qur'an is saying. Even the Sahaba had to ask the Prophet Sallallahu to understand the meanings of the Qur'an. So how can today's person say, I don't need anything? So these are the two extremes. Allah says, فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ Seek knowledge and remembrance from those people who have knowledge if you do not know. So now comes the question, what is ilm? Everything that you study at university and everywhere else, and by the way, I also, just simply, I say this not of something to be proud out of, just so you might say, oh, maybe the scholar or the brother who's speaking never saw the, the walls of a school, that's why he's saying like this. Alhamdulillah, I have seen the walls of, of the school, and I have a degree just from, the, you know, from, a, from a college down in Elmhurst in psychology. And alhamdulillah, I get a chance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's fadl and karam to lecture quite often in universities. So it's not something that we're afraid of, that it's sour grapes for us that we're sitting here saying this. We say this with utmost conviction, utmost conviction that all of that is information. And what is in the Qur'an and Sunnah is ilm. That's it. What brings you to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ilm. And other than that is a bunch of data and information. Data doesn't make you a better human being. Information does not make you a better human being. It is ilm of deen which makes you a civilized human being. That is why Imam Shafi'i when he complained to his teacher... Imam Shafi'i had amazing memory like all of those scholars. But once he complained to his, to his teacher, that I complained to Imam Waqir, that, yeah, oh Imam Waqir, I'm not able to retain things as well as I used to before. Now we're talking about, not your name and your number, we are talking about, let's say, a thousand hadiths with all the chain of narration. And then a thousand, you know, then to be able to repeat that. And then there were scholars of hadith who memorized 100,000 fabricated and weak hadiths. Not fa weak, fabricated 100,000 hadith. Someone would say, why in the world are you memorizing 100,000 fabricated hadith? He said, how are you going to know the true hadith if you don't know the fabricated ones? So that was the yani, amazing memory that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave. Today you see proto, you know, these protege pro pro children. Today you hear about at the age of 16, 17 is getting a degree. The age of 14, I've heard at the age of 11, age of 12 they're getting a PhD. Right? You've heard of this. Allah is qadir. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has something to be done, Allah gets it done. And Allah created the sahaba and the companions and the a'imma with such memories that do not exist today. Majority of the time. They were able to do that. So Imam Shafi went and complained. He says, oh Imam, I'm not, I don't have the memory that I used to before. So he says, فَأَوْصَانِي بِتَرْكِ الْمَعَاصِي he, he, now, this is the answer to a many questions that come to our mind. Why can I not study Islam from a university professor, from a non-Muslim Jewish university professor? Why can I not study Islam and get a PhD after I do my undergrad in Islamic studies from a university? And I should still be called yani, a, 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 a person who is part of the unbroken chain. I, kid, I, I do not doubt that in the universities there's a lot of information and a lot of data on Islam. Unbelievable. The, the, one of the most commonly used, uh, until today all our students use and I use, the Hanswear Dictionary, the Arabic to English Dictionary, written, by, compiled by a German. The very first index of the Qur'an, I'm sorry, the very first index of the Hadith, the very first index of the Hadith, I mean you choose a topic 
and where do you find, where does this topic and this word, where can you find Bukhari, Muslim, Tirmidhi, Nasai, Ibn Majah, Abu Dawud, Muslim, Ahmad, all the other books of hadith. This word, where is it found? Mu'ajamul Mufahras, the Alfaz al-Hadith, by a group of Christians. The first, the, way before CDs and internet. Did you hear what I said? The most great, the first encyclopedic work on hadith. And we have that in our libraries and we benefit from that. By a group of non-Muslims. So I am not saying that they don't have information, that they don't have data, that they don't have more facts. But is, is, is ilm about facts and data? That's the question. So Imam Waqi' told Imam Shafi'i that you have to stop committing sins. Subhanallah. What would he tell us? Now we can, we can safely say he was not involved in any major sin. Maybe khilaf al-awla, something which is not the better you know, of things. Something makru once in a while. He says you need to stop committing sins. And then he gives us the reason. Why? فَإِنَّ الْعِلْمَ نُورٌ مِّنْ إِلَٰهِ Because the knowledge is the nur from my Allah. This is the key point. Knowledge is not found in an iPad. Ilm is not what is in a downloadable you know, app. Ilm is not that which you can hear from the mouth of, an, of a disbelieving professor. Ilm is not that which you find in books as well, written by a Muslim, no problem, but written by a Muslim, no, no, no. Ilm, he says, Nurum min ilahi. It is the nur and the light from my Allah. Wa nurullahi la li'asi. And the nur of Allah will never be given to a disobedient servant. So the person may memorize many hadith, but he can never be called an alim. He will never be called someone who is hamilul ilm. So again, the question is, what is ilm? I explained to you the difference between ilm and information. What's out there is information. What is ilm? مَا قَالَ اللَّهُ وَقَالَ الرَّسُولُ فَذَاكَ عِلْمُ When you have a proof from Allah and His Rasul, Allah said this, Rasul said that, that's ilm. Another scholar explained this. He said, ilm is that which helps you answer the three questions of the grave. And beyond that is just information. Or I may add, it is just means of livelihood. Means of livelihood. What are the three questions of the grave? Man Rabbuk, who is your caretaker? Not who's your creator. We all know Allah is a creator. The whole world knows. The, the kuffar of Makkah. If you were to ask the kuffar of Makkah who created the heavens and the earth, most definitely they will say Allah. Allah says that. But the issue came about Rububiyyah. Who is your caretaker? Who takes care of your needs? That's where they got stuck. And I, I'm afraid to say that's many of us get stuck as well. Is it the job that takes care of us or is it Allah? If we give for the sake of Allah, will we become poor? And this is the thing. If we spend on ourselves lavishly, we'll never become poor. But as soon as I give for the sake of Allah, all of a sudden I start to think of poverty. Because we have the, the faith that Allah is the caretaker is weak. Number two, مَا دينك? What is your religion? What was the way of your life? Lastly, مَا تَقُولُ فِي هَذَا الرَّجُلُ What did you have to say about this individual? The Prophet ﷺ. Now you tell me, show me a university class in the world. Show me a think tank. Show me a book in the world written by a non-Muslim that can answer these three questions. And these three questions, my respected brothers, you can't have cheat sheets. And no one can text message you from Tal. There's no service down there. No service. No cheat sheets. Nothing. And I, I mean, I say this with, with most seriousness. That the only way we're going to be able to answer these three questions is if we had implemented that within our life. The person who led a life not following 
Rabbi Allah, my caretaker is Allah. Not my creator, my caretaker, remember that. Number two, my religion is Islam, my way of life. Not that I, on the senses I, am, I say I'm a Muslim. When I take, you know, enroll in a college, I say I'm Muslim. No, my way of life, the way I wake up, the way I go to sleep, the way I eat, the way I mix and mingle with people, the way I treat my parents, the way I act with the opposite gender, the way I do business, the way I buy and sell, the way I purchase a home, all of that is accordance to Islam. And lastly, what do you say about this person? Immediately we will be able to say, this is Muhammad wasallam. If life of Muhammad was in, in my life, then I will be able to answer that. That is what ilm is. And the five questions of the Day of Judgment. What are they? Number one, Where did you spend your life? وَعَنْ شَبَابِهِ فِيمَا أَبْلَاهِ Where did you spend your youth specifically? وَعَنْ عِلْمِهِ مَاذَا عَمِلَ بِهِ On the knowledge, how much of it did he practice? وَعَنْ مَالِهِ مِنْ أَيْنَ اكْتَسَبَ On his wealth, where did he earn it? وَفِيمَا أَنْفَقَ And where did he spend it? These are the five questions that the ilm will tell you how to answer. Rasulullah uh, and the Qur'an this ayah, Surah Fatir, ayah number 28. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّمَا يَخْشَ اللَّهَ مِنْ عِبَادِهِ الْعُلَمَاءِ Only those can fear Allah. Only those can fear Allah from amongst His servants who have knowledge. The scholars. Three tools of emphasis are used in this ayah. إِنَّمَا Number two, bringing Allah first before ulama. Taqdeemu ma haqqahu ta'akhir yufidul hasr. Bringing the object of the verb before the dui. The doer, uh, the dui before the doer. Usually would have been, yakhsha al-ulama'u Allaha. Instead it says, yakhsha Allaha al-ulama'u. And you have the innama. And lastly you got min ibadihi. From amongst the servants. So what does that all of that mean? Basically, only scholars can truly fear Allah. And number two, scholars are only those who fear Allah. So if there's a person claiming knowledge but he doesn't fear Allah, he is not an alim. And a person who, who uh, a person says, I fear Allah, no, you cannot fear Allah until you become an alim. So now someone will say, okay, now what are, you, what are you telling us? We have to study eight years for us to fear Allah, otherwise it's not acceptable? Ulama does not mean you attend a certain university and graduate with a certain course, no. It means that you have to have ilm of Allah. Whether you get that after studying 12 years, or you get that by staying in the company of righteous, pious people for many years. Whatever the case may be. You have to make effort. But there's no course. That you finish this course, you become an alim. Yes, when we graduate, we're told that mashallah, you get the certificate. You know. But if that graduating student of a madrasa or a university does not fear Allah, in the eyes of Allah, he's not a scholar. In the eyes of the people, he's a great scholar. He's very eloquent. But if he does not fear Allah, and his actions and his, and his words do not match, in the eyes of Allah, he's not a scholar. So, but the ayah is telling us for take-home message for us, is that if we want to fear Allah, we have to learn about Allah. We cannot, take, we cannot be content with our knowledge of other things. You ask a person, what have you studied? Look at the average person sitting. I don't think there's any adult here who doesn't have a bachelor's degree. Or a, a master's. Twelve years in, in school. Then four years of undergrad. And if you're doing the professional fields, then multiple years after that. Eighteen years of twenty-five years is spent in learning how to take care of my needs of this dunya. But if you ask a person, my dear brother, how much time have you spent learning who Allah is? 
How much time have you spent learning the deen? How much time have you spent preparing for the ultimate never-ending life that is going to start as soon as the soul departs? He can't even recap that he spent one day. He can't recap that he spent one month or a few years. You know, subhanAllah ta'ala. But instead he says, why is that important? Why is that important? If we don't study this, who's going to pay for the lights? This is subhanAllah, ignorance and arrogance put together at its height. One is a person is not studying. But one is a person thinking, I don't need to study and I'm not doing any sin by not studying. If salah is fard, then to learn about salah is fard. Is hajj is fard, then to learn about hajj is fard. And if iman is the greatest fard, then to learn iman is the greatest fard. Knowledge precedes action. Knowledge precedes action. The problem today is, that person he doesn't pray, astaghfirullah. That person, brother, he indulges in riba. That person, he has a liquor shop. Do we ever, we regard selling liquor, wine, alhamdulillah, we regard this as sins. Not praying, we regard this as sin. But do we regard remaining ignorant of Islam as sin? It's alright man, let him go. Excuse him, he doesn't know. Instead, we're always trying to, ignorance is bliss. Always trying to find leeways for ignorance. As if though that's not a problem. To remain an ignorant life. But you know every ask, I ask you about your car, I ask you about your profession, you'll go non-stop about it. But when you ask, Sifli Allah, tell me who Allah is. Tell me who Allah is. Describe to me, explain to me who, are the, who is the being that you lower your head in front of five times a day. Oh, this is the phone number of the imam of the masjid, contact him. No, I don't want to speak to the imam. You, if, if the imam was the only one bowing his head in such that, I'd ask him. But I have seen for the past 20 years, so are you. So tell me who this Allah is that you bow down to so, regular, so regularly, so religiously. If a person cannot answer that, my brothers, how sad it is. How sad it is that we have the map, we have all sorts of science, we got everything down under, under our belt. But when it comes to the knowledge of Allah, then not only are we unaware of it, but we don't regard it as a sin to be unaware of it. This is where we are sitting right now. With, we call Jahlul Murakkab. La yadri wa huwa la yadri annahu la yadri. He doesn't know, and he doesn't even know that he doesn't know. So hence, he doesn't want to get treated, because he doesn't see it's a problem. So this ayah, what is it telling us? Not encouraging all of you to become now, study eight years. Alhamdulillah, those who will, the reward is there. But it's telling you, you have to make an effort to learn about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in order to truly be afraid of Him. Now, what are the characteristics of the true scholars? Rasulullah sallallahu said, and I'm sorry, uh, Muhammad ibn Sirin, one of the great scholars, Imam Muslim quotes this in the introduction of his authentic book of compilation of hadith. This knowledge is not information. It is your religion. So be very careful who you take this religion from. I repeat, if you can take back this, this statement home, sufficient. Indeed, this knowledge is your deen. So be very careful who you take your religion from. That is why you cannot take your ilm from random unknown people. Unknown, unknown people on, on Google, Facebook, unknown articles. You have no idea who has written, who, had this, who this has written. And then some, some people commonly again ask, I'm repeating, I'm repeating myself because it's a very important issue. Why can I, why can I not learn ilm from the university? from non-Muslims. At the end of the day, I'm learning hadith. Yes, we answered already, ilm is not information, it is the nur of Allah. What nur are you going to get from him or her? And number two, ilm is not information, it's your deen. 
How can you learn your deen from someone who doesn't believe in it or doesn't practice in it? So we live in an era now where it's this all being confused. This is all kitchery, everything mixed up. Number two, we cannot take a knowledge from someone who is not practicing on that. If he, if he is not benefiting him, then why should we take it? If he doesn't believe in it, he says one thing, he doesn't believe in it himself. He's not practicing it. Why then do we take knowledge from that? Instead, take knowledge from those who you see are not hypocrites, are practicing on what they're saying, and you say, when I look at him, I remember the companions. I mean, I'm sure there are people in the world, when you look at them and say, if the Sahaba were alive, they'd probably look like him. Bas. That's what you need to, if you listen to his speech, when you listen to his talk, you say, if the Sahaba spoke, this is how probably they used to speak. Your inside fitra will guide you to that. And an innovator. Innovator, someone who adds something to the deen and subtracts something from the deen. Anyone, addition or subtraction, any change from that. So we have a lot of people who are subtracting things from the deen, and we have a lot of people who are adding things to the deen today. We have a whole huge progressive movement that is trying to change a lot of things that the deen has been understood from. So you have to choose, you have to see, can there be anyone more knowledgeable than Rasulullah is it, is it really that Allah didn't know what's going to happen in America in 2014, that now we need a think tank to tell us how the deen needs to be reformed? Allah did not know that, na'udhu billah. That's exactly what it means when a person says the deen needs to be reformed. And now I share with you these websites. Of course, don't take, you know, don't write them down and definitely don't put that in your, your, your URL and start searching for this. These are a, just a small glimpse of websites. What's, a re, what's the first one? Can someone read that to me? Okay. Definitely don't Google that. But I did, I genuinely, I Googled it for the sake of checking things out. To see what comes out there. What do you get? You will not, you will not know. Because it's, it's, it takes research to figure out. That website is a Qadiani website. Qadiani, now I have to again say, what's Qadiani? That you have to come study. Right? But that is obviously a faction that has began just a few years back in this past century. A group of people from many, many tenants, but from amongst them, is that Rasulullah was not the last recipient of revelation and that there was another recipient of revelation namely Mirza Ghulam Ahmad and that he has the ability to abrogate many things and from amongst those conveniently nice doctrines he was, he was from the subcontinent, Indian subcontinent during the era of imperialism look at the very convenient doctrines of his new beliefs and new religion which he didn't claim was any different, was part of Islam was that jihad has been abrogated, mashallah. Conveniently, jihad has been abrogated. And number two, allegiance to the British government is a lazim, mandatory uh, uh, you know, obligation on every Muslim. That you must join their army. Join the imperialist. It is wajib fard upon you. From amongst the many others. You understand where this is coming from? Where this is coming from? In every era, batil has promoted Factions. In every era, Batil has bought out scholars. In every era, Batil has found weak people within the community to cause chaos through them. Not now, way before. From the time after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, this began. The split between uh, the Shia and Sunni, that all of that, inshallah, which we hope to cover sometime. Again, Batil has his forces behind all of these splits. So we see. Al-Islam. In Arabic, what does Al-Islam mean? Al. What does Al mean? Da. The Islam. MashaAllah. Da Islam. Let's go there. Da Islam. What else? We can't go wrong. 
alislam.org. Again, a Qadiani website. A Qadiani website. Would you call himself Ahmadi? You go there, the front page, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. Average man, what could be wrong with it? La ilaha illallah, mashallah, what else? You got the kalima written there on the website. How could we go wrong? Right? How could we go wrong? You have to dig deep, deep, deep into these websites to find one straight. Ah, that's it, got you. That is the proof that this is a Qadiyan. Nowhere will they claim openly that this is who we are. Who would want to take? Why would you all want to go take a free Islamic course then? You're not going to do that. Now you're in the fifth week, fifth semester of the course, and now slowly you trust this scholar who's giving this knowledge, and now he starts putting doubts and explaining this and that. Okay, very important point. We, alhamdulillah, we, we cover all of this in our one-year program, in detail. We spent three weeks on Qadiyaniyat with our high school and college students who are part of our one-year intensive. So, you think they don't, you say, oh, I have Qur'an. I want to follow the Qur'an. You think Qadiyanis don't have Qur'an? Everything they're saying, they got an eye of the Qur'an to say that. What are you going to do? They will use the Qur'an to prove their stance. And for that matter, every single deviant sect out there uses the Qur'an. To have the Qur'an as a proof is not sufficient. You have to understand it properly the way the Sahaba did. Otherwise, you got to throw it back at the person's face. And I would love to have given examples, but I'm running out of time, of yani, comical tafsirs of the Qur'an. It's, I mean, in one sense it's comical, but it's one sense, wake up to the reality. There's a challenge out there, a genuine challenge. There's a whole movement that says that the Qur'an has been interpreted all along for the past 14 centuries in a wrong manner because they were all sexist men who were mufassirs. And that is why now it needs to be interpreted, reinterpreted from a woman's perspective. So now they will come with meanings of the Qur'an that your, your great-parents never imagined. No one in this world imagined that this Arabic word could mean this. And there's absolutely no cross-reference from any hadith or from any statement of a sahabi. Right out of the back pocket. Because you have to make it popular. You got to go with the times. So all of these things, daquran.com, in the name of Allah.org, a'udhu billahi min shaitan rajim If a person goes to any of these things, you're getting, these are either Qadiani websites or anti-Islam websites. And many of you received books in the mail. Correct? You received books, what was it called? Whatever it was called, it was like a, a 10 guided Muslims. Yeah? Okay, a perfect example. And how many people actually start reading like, oh, mashallah, it's a great book. And then, and then those who have iman, they're like, what, what, what's going on here? 10 guided, inspired Muslims. Basically, it's a story of 10 murtads. 10 people who left the fall of Islam. Being delivered to millions of Muslim homes throughout. Everyone who has Ahmad, Muhammad, last name, they're getting it. They've already received it or are going to get it soon. Think about what Batil is doing. Think. Subhanallah. What effort Batil is putting here. So what is the perfect balance between these extremes? Understand the text through scholars. Like I just said, do not, if someone says, here's the ayah of the Qur'an. Okay, hold it, hold your horses. What did the ulama say regarding this ayah? What did the sahaba say regarding this ayah? For example, I'll give you a quick, quick uh, um, example. La tulqu bi aydikum ila tahluka. La tulqu bi aydikum ila tahluka. In a battlefield, someone, um, someone may quote this, which means do not throw yourself into destruction. Someone misquoted. It's, it's, it's right, right? Why kill yourself? Yeah, don't fast all night. I mean, don't fast all day. Don't make qiyam all night. You're going to kill yourself. Nice. Very convenient to quote this ayah. Do not kill yourself. When the Sahabi heard this, I think again it was Abu Bakr. He said, Do you have any idea the background of this revelation? How dare you misquote this ayah? 
This was quoted, this was revealed for the Ansar and when the Ansar began to say that we have done a lot for the Muhajireen and for the Prophet and the expeditions and our crops have ruined and we are suffering drought and we've been giving and giving and giving. Now we need to stop giving and we need to stop going out and we need to start taking care of our business. That is when this ayah was revealed. That if you stop supporting the Prophet and the Muhajireen and stop spending in the path of Allah, then you are asking for destruction. Look at how this ayah has been so can be easily misquoted, misunderstood. You have to understand this ayah, how the Sahaba did. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, so now, the, the gist of this here is that, understand the text through the scholars, and number two, weigh the scholars through the text. Is he a true scholar or not? Look at what the text says. If, he, if his life completely contradicts the text, sorry, let's move on. Let's give us some attributes of the people who you, should, you and I should mingle with. Who should our friends be? Who should the scholarly people we should be attracted to? Abdullah ibn Abbas says, Ya Rasulullah, he said, someone said, Ya Rasulullah, ayyu julasaina khair. Who amongst our friends and our uh, friend circle are the best? Who should we you know, spend our weekends with? You know, invite to our homes and we go to their homes. What type of people? Qal. These are the attributes. Number one. مَنْ ذَكَّرَكُمْ بِاللَّهِ رُؤْيَتُهُ When you look at him, you remember Allah. When you look at him, you remember Allah. Now think of all the people we hang out with, all the, and then scholars as well. Think, if you look at that person, kya Allah yada jata ikdam se? Do you remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Number two, وَزَادَ فِي عِلْمِكُمْ مَنْطِقُهُ Whenever he speaks, your knowledge, and we already explained what knowledge means, your knowledge increases. So if he shares the football stats with you, that we don't call that knowledge. Whenever he speaks, your knowledge increases. And when you look at his actions, you are reminded of the hereafter. That only a person who believes in the day of judgment will do act in this manner. Otherwise, no one else would. I wouldn't have done that. I would have given up, given to my nafs, given in to my nafs and whatnot. But this man, he truly believes in the day of judgment. Throughout the ages, this, the ulama have been the, the, the protectors of this theme. And who is saying this? The Prophet ﷺ says. Abu Darda radiallahu anhu says that the Prophet ﷺ said, يَحْمِلُ هَذَا الْعِلْمَ مِنْ كُلِّ خَلْفٍ, خلف عُدُولُهُ This sacred knowledge will be borne by the reliable authorities of each successive generation. Who are those? What is the, the, the job of this reliable authorities? What are they going to do? Number one. يَنْفُونَ عَنْهُ تَحْرِيفَ الْغَالِينَ They will remove it. They will remove from the knowledge and from the Qur'an and Sunnah the altercations of those guilty of exaggeration. Got it? All of those extremists that you talk about, the job of the ulama is to say this is wrong. This is a wrong opinion. Allah and Rasul do not say this. Throughout the eras, if you look in the history of Islam, you will definitely see that there were extremists all over. Not now. There were people from the khawarij. Anyone who commits a major sin is a kafir. You, may, you missed one salah, kafir, khatam. And what do you do with the kafir? You kill him. So anyone who misses salah, you can kill him. That's the extreme. That's not what the sharia says. So, every time a fitna came, whether it was a khawarij, whether it was the mu'tazila, whether it was the murji'iyah, whether it was the Greek philosophy being misunderstood, you have the likes of Imam Ghazali, you have the likes of Abu al-Hassan al-Ash'ari, you have the likes of Imam Abu Hanifa, you have the likes of Imam Bukhari, who stood up to the challenge. You and I, who haven't studied history too well, they say, okay, that's a good name. But we don't realize how indebted we are to those scholars. Had they not stood up and did what this hadith does, says, we have no idea what our deen would have been today. 
very similar to what the deen of the other religions is today. Where we, what in the relationship is the Easter Bunny have to do with Isa alayhi salam? What is the relationship between Santa Claus and Isa alayhi salam? Was he the 13th you know, disciple or what? Na'udhu billah. What's going on? That would have happened. Wallahi al-azim. That would have happened to this deen. Today we would be, don't know what we would be doing. If it wasn't for those ulama who stood up in every era against the challenges. Number two, the plagiarism of the corrupt people. They protect Islam from the plagiarism of the correct people. And lastly, وَتَأْوِيلَ الْجَاهِلِينَ And the false interpretations of the ignorant people. Quran is there, but if it's interpreted falsely, it can cause havoc. Ulama stood up in every generation, and in this generation, they are doing that as well. And they must continue to do that. This is a three, th- three hadith I shared, which may be difficult to, to read now. But shortly, what, what type of times are we living in now? Rasulullah said, that a time will come where yaqillul ilm knowledge will become scarce Tempt- knowledge will become will be withdrawn temptations will emerge extreme averse will descend and then the sah- and haraj will prevail the sahaba said what is haraj rasulullah sallallahu replied massive discord and bloodshed so one of the things he says the knowledge will be lifted up but you're going to say right now a new library opened islamic library a brand new five apps have been created this week, possibly. How can you say knowledge has been uplifted? Okay, let's listen to the next hadith. In Allah, from hadith of Bukhari and Muslim. All of these are Bukhari Muslim. In Allah la ilma intiza'an, Allah will not seize sacred knowledge by extracting it from people. But rather, Allah will seize sacred knowledge by extracting it from, by extracting, by uh, okay, but rather Allah will seize it by removing scholars. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will lift the knowledge. Very important, brothers. I know we're getting tired. But bear with me, inshallah ta'ala. We have a few more minutes till salah. And the ending is going to be epic. You think I'm joking? I'm not. And I mean that. So please, those who left early for any reason, you know. I feel bad for them. If you need a glass of water, most definitely go drink a glass of water. The ending, inshallah ta'ala, will be epic. So I want you to be fresh. You need a glass of water, go ahead. And we'll pray Isha when I'm done. Inshallah ta'ala, with the, the, the last moment. So, uh, Rasulullah sallallahu said that the knowledge will be lift, lifted, but it will not be lifted by b- libraries burning, all apps you know, failing, crashing, all computers failing. You know, subhanAllah, everyone, uh, the book's being burnt. No, he didn't say that. He said, Allah will take away the knowledge of deen by taking away scholars. Books will remain, libraries will remain, apps will remain, websites will remain. But true ulama, once they start going away, then that is the sign, the decline of knowledge. Because rijalullah are important right along kitabullah. Okay, what will happen to that community that doesn't have scholars anymore? What are people going to do? When they don't have scholars anymore, you need someone to lead Jama'a Salah, you need someone to give the khutbah, you need someone to give a program. He says here, that people will then appoint ignorant men as their leaders. And when, then, فَسُئِلُوا When questioned about the matters of deen, فَأَفْتَوْ بِغَيْرِ عِلْمٍ They will pass rulings without knowledge. فَأَفْتَوْ The word fatwa has been used in the hadith. فَضَلُّوا أَضَلُّوا Thus they will be misguided and will misguide others. Does that ring a bell, brothers? We can't allow that to happen, at least in our own community. That a person who has no background, no knowledge, 
has been given the podium, has been given the mic that speak. Everyone share what you have to share. One scholar was saying that he, he went to a community and they found out he's a great Qari and a great scholar. And the group of people, uh, they, they had sat for the Quran circle. The Quran circle. What is this Sunday morning Quran circle where everyone gives their opinions about the Quran? I'm sure you've heard of this before. So he said, okay. Uh, they said, oh, you're an alim. Why don't you recite the Quran? So he said, I recited the passage. You know, of course, beautifully. So then the scholar said, before I continue with this, why don't you all, mashallah, turn by turn, we all read together. Then we'll go to the tafsir. He said, from the whole crowd, maybe one or two people were able to read. The rest of them said, I'll pass. He's ready to make tafsir, but he can't read the Arabic. And what did the Prophet ﷺ say in a near meaning of hadith? مَنْ قَالَ فِي الْقُرْآنِ بِرَأْيِهِ فَقَدْ أَخْطَأَ وَإِنْ أَصَابَ The one who speaks about the Qur'an with his opinion, with his own opinion, then even if he's right, he's wrong. Even if he's right, he's wrong. مَنْ قَالَ فِي الْقُرْآنِ Whoever speaks in the Quran without any knowledge, this is the near meaning of the hadith, I don't have the exact wording with me. Then he needs to prepare his abode in the fire of Jahannam. Whoever speaks in the Quran with his own opinion. So now we're living in that era where we do not have enough scholars. Scholars are dying, passing away. And now, 2,000 plus masajid and musallas in America. More than 100 places, Jum'ah is being performed in the city of Chicago. How many of those have a scholar doing that? Ask yourself. Are you willing to put yourself in the hands of someone? Would you, are you, is, is a person ready to get his very important legal work done? His immigration work done by a paralegal? Is a person ready to get a, a root canal done by a hygienist? Is a person willing to get a, you know, a transplant done? A transplant done by an anesthesiologist? MashaAllah is great, but really, he has a place where he works. And beyond that, he doesn't do. So this person may be very eloquent, but are we, is it safe to give him the mic? Is it safe for him to be standing in prayer? So who is regarded as a scholar? I said, scholarship is not a popularity contest, which has become today. Whoever has the most hits on YouTube, the most friends on, on Facebook, the most followers on Twitter, must definitely be the greatest scholar. No, it's not like that. This is not the beauty pageant, this is not an ilm pageant. This, the true scholars, for the majority of the time, are unknown people. Later on, Allah gives them maqbuliyah and acceptance. Definitely that's true. They're beloved by people. But do not necessarily think that the one who the media idolizes has to be the greatest scholar. Like I shared before, there is vested interest that the media has in promoting certain individuals. Be very clear about that. There's vested interest who the media promotes. Ref the Jews have the reforms, the orthodox, and the, what's the third one? Um, no. I, I missed it. So anyway, three, three different categories amongst them as well. And yani, uh, the Jews, uh, the Christians, of course, have the Catholics and the Protestants, the reformists. So I said, monkey see, monkey do. The hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, he said, he said, Most definitely, whatever the Bani Israel, the people of the book are going to do, my ummah is going to do the same thing. Shoe with shoe. Meaning if one footstep, then the next footstep. Next footstep, next footstep. You're going to be following the Christians and the Jews. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa then said the end of the hadith, وَتَفْتَرِقُ أُمَّتِي عَلَىٰ إِنَّ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلِ Bani Israel split on 72 factions. And my ummah was split in 73 factions. All of them, كُلُّهُمْ فِي النَّارِ All of those factions, 72 out of 73, headed to hellfire. إِلَّا مِلَّةً وَاحِدًا Except for one group. قَالَ مَنْ هِيَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ Which group is that? Didn't say 
those who follow this website, those who read such and such book, those who have this, who follow the path of mine and my companions. People, Rijalullah, Rijalullah, Rijalullah. That if we follow the path of Rasulullah and the Sahaba, anyone in this day and age, look at him, is his life and his teachings resemble the companions or not? People will call you outdated. Don't worry about it. Uh, Rasulullah said, Deen began as a strange entity and it will once again return to being something strange. Glad tidings for the strangers. So if people are looking at that scholar weird, don't have to worry about it. If people say he's outdated, he's not with the times, don't worry about it. Because the Prophet ﷺ already said that. The deen became, began as a strange entity, and those who are holding on to the deen towards the end of times will also become strangers. Will also become outcasts, not from the non-Muslims, but from the Muslim community themselves. They will push them away. The Prophet said, glad tidings for those strangers. I'm with them. Glad tidings for those people. How is this knowledge now, you know, preserved and protected? Why do we have so much yaqeen on this knowledge? It's because, why do we have faith in the knowledge that we're speaking about and, not, and have no faith in any other knowledge that I refuted earlier on? It pays the bills, yes, but it cannot tell you who Allah is. Abdullah ibn Mubarak, rahmatullah famous statement. Ustad of Imam Bukhari, he says, Al-Isnadu min al-Deen. That Isnad, Isnad is when you share a chain of narration. This is part, a portion of the Deen. Walawla al-Isnad. And if it wasn't for Isnad, laqala man sha'a ma sha'a, then whoever wishes could say whatever he wishes. Basically, you know how to say, I heard this, I heard that? If Islam were to be based on I heard, hearsay, it would have become a huge mix-up. Mix Allah Ta'ala, we can say, and we can give this challenge, that there is absolutely no science in the world, no group of people, no followers of any faith or any religion who have anything that comes anywhere close to the concept of Sanat in Islam. Sanat is that the, the proof is in the pudding. Before you said a statement, back it up. Not back it up with my research. No, I don't want your research. I want to know, prove to me that Allah and His Rasul said this. Brother, I live 14 centuries after. No, I don't care. You have to show me the proof. Anything that you say must be, must be sound. And if it's sound, the proof of it being sound is that Allah and His Rasul said that. Otherwise, we don't care about it. So how did this hadith get preserved? Practice. People practice the actions of the Prophet ﷺ. The Sahaba practiced that. If you see, if you see, how, uh, you know, the length of their beard, if you see the way they dressed, if they see how they used the miswak, how they went to sleep, how did they do that? They saw the Prophet ﷺ doing it, they implemented it. Number two, oral transmission. They, would, they heard the Prophet ﷺ the saying the virtues of, of performing Fajr Salah, they narrated it. Number three, written compilation, that they would write down, Abu Huraira himself, would write down all the hadith, and many other sahaba, this is a wrong accusation, the hadith was compiled later on. Rather, hadith was compiled right at the beginning in the earlier times. So this is an unparalleled science. How come? Because you have never seen dictionaries or encyclopedias that are based on cities, based on Hirat, based on Baghdad, based on Kufa. All the narrators of all the hadith who have ever lived in this city, just 10 volumes on that. City-specific, credible narrators. 
These are all the credible narrators. How many? 12, 15 volumes. Weak narrators, 20 volumes. Shared names. Same name, many people have another whole vo uh, voluminous work. Morph names. People who have urf. What names were they known? A whole collection of that. Ambiguous names. Okay, we're not sure who this person is. Every single aspect of a hadith is protected. If a person, if you ask me, if I ask yourself, do you know your father? Father's name? Yes? Of course we know father's name. Do we know our grandfather's name? Inshallah. Great-grandfather's name, number of people will start decreasing. Great-great-grandfather's name, number of people will decrease. Grandfather's grandfather's name, you know, we're looking at a very small number of people. Okay, grandfather, who if, you, if he passed away before you're born, how much do you know about him? How much do you know about him? Just your grandfather. Do you even know where he's buried? Have you ever visited him if he, was, if he passed away before you were born? Did you go visit his grave? How much information do you have about him? All right? I could keep on asking this rhetorical questions to allow you to absorb this. I don't have time for that, but, but you ask yourself this. How much knowledge do we have about our own lineage? A very, very, very small amount. Very small amount. Yet, any hadith that you pick up from Rasulullah till the person who's narrating this hadith, we have knowledge of every single person in that chain. Where was he born? Where did he die? How long did he live? Who were his teachers? How was his childhood? How was his moral uprightness? What, did he lie even once? If an incident of him lying once or cheating once, it's there. Automatically, then we're not going to accept his hadith. Smallest and tiniest and largest amounts of his yani, biographical description is mentioned in the books of every person. And if he's not mentioned, we don't know, all of a sudden that weakens the chain of narration. Do you understand that, brothers? So someone who's living in, the, in, in, in subhanAllah, 1400, a, a, you know, CE, someone who's living in 1200, someone who's living in 900, we know details about them all the way till us. Can we find another piece of information, another science of this world that can match that? That is documented beyond yani, human contemplation, beyond human grasp. This is the qudra of Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took responsibility of that. So, what is the end of this? The end of this take-home points for us. Hadith of the Prophet ﷺ I mentioned at the beginning. He said, you have four options. You only got four options. You don't have a fifth one. Ughdu aliman. Go become a scholar. So you should become a scholar. If not, make your son a scholar. Make your daughter a scholar. By the way, women have a huge, uh, a huge share in that. Right now, one of the scholarship, Akram Nadwi completed a encyclopedic work, an encyclopedia of multiple volumes of the biographies of the muhaddithat, the, all the female scholars of hadith. Like you have Ahmad ibn Hanbal, you have Imam Bukhari, female scholars. A whole biographical work. Huge, multi, you know, many volumes. So women have a share. So number one, go become a scholar. Number two, if you can't do that, mutaalliman, become a full-time student that I'm working, but I will take weekends off. I will take a year off. I will take a few months off and I'll study properly. He says, I can't do that. Oh, mustami'an, become someone who attends the discourses of the scholars and listens attentively. You listen once a month seminar. You come for the evening Isha Salah and listen to five minutes of the hadith. Come for the Fajr, listen to the five minutes of the hadith. Mustami'an, you're listening. In the car, you're listening to the, uh, the speeches of authentic scholars. You can't do that. Muhibban, become a lover of knowledge and people of knowledge. 
The ulama have written ex explicitly on this. This means supporting knowledge, supporting institutes of knowledge, supporting the publication of books, supporting students who want to study knowledge, supporting those who want to study. Subhanallah, that say, I will take care of your needs, you go ahead and study. How lucky, how indeed lucky are those individuals and how lucky are those people who, is, who say, I'm going to earn for you and you go seek ilm. I'll take care of the dirty work while you go seek ilm. That is a great, great gift that you can give a, a child, a son, or, any, or a daughter. Rasulullah said, وَلَا تَكُنْ خَامِسًا And make sure you do not fall into the fifth category. فَتَهْلِكْ Otherwise you will be destroyed. Okay, what is the fifth category that we're not allowed to be? وَالْخَامِسَةُ أَن تُبْغِضَ الْعِلْمَ وَأَهْلَ الْعِلْمَ أو كما قال صلى الله عليه وسلم The fifth category is that you that you harbor ill feelings and hatred towards knowledge and the people of knowledge Okay, bhai, the problems of the world are the scholars the scum of the earth This is what you hear today All the problems of today, the fighting is because of ulama If they weren't there, then everything would be fine and nice and dandy So we fear that person's iman, we fear for him We make dua for those people who say such words Yes, if one person, one scholar did something wrong, we've already said that before. He's not a scholar. If he doesn't have fear of Allah, he's not a scholar. He may claim whatever he wants. He may have many websites and many CDs. But Allah, according to the books of Allah, he's not a scholar if he doesn't fear Allah. So why are you even bringing him? If it's like you take one doctor who, may, who did some malpractice and now you say, I'm never going to a doctor and if they wish all doctors were dead, it would have been nice. Because why? One doctor made a mistake. Purposely or unpurposely. Accident. He was a bad person. Why are you ruining the image of all the other doctors? Same thing for ulama. I don't deny there are people who claim to be ulama and they do very bad things. But we have nothing to do with that. We have to look for true scholarship. So as a community here, all of you, mashallah ta'ala, who've come here from distance, nearby and, and far away, tired from a long working day and a long working week, I want to share this with you. That you all need to make this commitment tonight, brothers and sisters, that from today, we will never be happy remaining and living the life of ignorance. Say inshallah. That we will inshallah to our best of our ability not continue doing what we're doing, add. Either start attending a weekend program, start attending a weekday program, start at attending the masjid more regularly to learn from the dars of the, of, the, of the imam. Definitely, or reach out to the scholar and say, can you give me the names of certain scholars that I can listen to their speeches while I'm going, driving back and forth on the train or work, whatnot. Or a certain list of books. Go, and whoever's, I'm not saying Darus Salam or me or whatnot. No, whoever fits the category that I've described to you and who you feel comfortable with, go out to them. Reach out to them and say, I want to learn. I make Tawbah on Friday night that I am no longer going to be living a life of ignorance. And I want to learn. And if you, if you find this place convenient for you, then Alhamdulillah, we have of course the adult classes on Sundays. We have the weekday classes for the, for the young, young uh, brothers and sisters. A lot of classes are taking place here. The list are on our website. But not Hivs I'm talking about. That's a basic, you know, that's Fardu Kifaya grade. I'm talking about beyond that. Hivs is there, mashallah. But I'm talking about the meanings of the Qur'an. I'm talking about what does Allah want from me? By becoming half of the Qur'an only, that does not answer your questions. That does not give you the ma'rifah of Allah only, always. Sometimes it does. If a person studies the Qur'an in the company of such pious people, that the ma'rifah of Allah and the understanding of Allah also goes with the Qur'an. MashaAllah, lucky people are those. But if someone just does rote memorization, that's just one step. And we should never, and I tell my students who are sitting here, don't ever think, don't ever think that mashallah ta'ala you fall into this category. I've memorized the Qur'an, alhamdulillah, done deal. Content with what I've achieved. If I don't know what the Qur'an is saying, if I don't know the masail of salah, zakah, and hajj, then really know very well that you are on the first step. You are on the very first step. You are, will be rewarded immensely for what you have done for the past three, four years memorizing. But this is just the beginning. Do not let shaitan put doubts in your mind or your parents' minds thinking that you have done everything.
This is the beginning. Study something. And that is why, alhamdulillah, we have come up with a beautiful effort, at least, effort, may Allah accept it, with our one-year Islamic studies, or 10-month Islamic studies Arabic and immersion program. For hafal, for college students, for, for graduate students, for working adults. We have an ER physician, mashallah ta'ala, who's part of our 10-month program this year. Full-time, 8 to 5, Monday through Friday. How does he do it? He works on the weekends only. He works 12-hour shifts on the weekends, and the whole week is here studying. Where there's a will, there's a way. He's married, he's got three kids. Alhamdulillah, may Allah give him tawfiq and accept. So we have that, an open house for that tomorrow. If you're interested, your son's interested, I see young brothers sitting here who I've seen after many years. Please consider that. Consider you've spent 15 years, 20 years studying other things. Consider spending some time to learn the deen, learning the Qur'an and whatnot. And so tomorrow from 10 to dhuhr, we have that open house for that. So please attend and participate. Students will be speaking. We will be addressing the way we address our class. We'll have lecture. You'll be able to sit and lecture and see how it is. And now comes uh, the epic moment I was talking about. So alhamdulillah, this institute, we have four teachers in the Arabic Islamic Studies Department. The names you are, you are well aware of. And so now, what, what background do we have? Where are we coming from? What ground? See, people say, where's your curriculum aligned to it? Do you have a stamp of approval from, uh, from any university? Did University of Chicago approve your syllabus? Well, we'll tell you what. This syllabus, alhamdulillah, and the ilm that we're sharing with you is, comes from a completely different system. And that is a system of senate. That is a system of the unbroken chain of narration back to the Prophet So, every single hadith that we have studied from our teachers, spending, alhamdulillah, 10 years, minus plus a few years or a few months overseas, sitting at the feet of scholars. Yes, we are American-born, normal kids, went to high school and college and had all the luxuries of this world, but you have to travel. People say, you want me to travel to Dar Salaam, 25 minutes for a program? SubhanAllah, can't you come to us? That's not how ilm will come. I may add to this, one of the ulama said, the biggest problem, the biggest problem today of the internet-based courses and audio-visual, you know, YouTube speeches and lectures and downloadable MP3s from our podcast, the biggest musibah and calamity is that today the ummah thinks that they are not in need of scholars. That I can simply Google and download. I can listen to your speech. Why do you expect me to come? I can just listen to live stream. I can listen to it over the computer afterwards. So what has happened now? People think that we don't need to sit and go to anyone. So alhamdulillah, only Allah's grace and father that he allowed us to visit overseas in South Africa. And he allowed us to gain knowledge over there. So this is the actual um, chain, alhamdulillah, of the ulama that we have studied with. Starting, uh, we'll start from the top, from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So this is starting from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Going on to all of the, uh, all the different the dates when they passed away. All of these ulama, one by one, muhaddithin. I'm not going to read this, I'm going to read something else to you. Goes all the way to the next page. Look at 5th century, 6th century, 7th, 8th, 8th, end of 8th, 9th, 10th, 10th again, 11th. And then 11th again, 11th again, 11th again, 12th. Then this is the 13th, 13th all the way to... Shaykh Amin Gul from this past century, and then my Ustad and all the other teachers' Ustad, Mufti Radawul Haq, who is the Ustad of Hadith in, in South Africa, who we took ijazah from. So after gaining ilm from them, they gave us permission that these are the list of teachers. You have date of births, 
not just date of births and when they passed away, but detailed explanations, complete biographies of every single teacher between us. Our shortest sanad between us and the Prophet ﷺ is 17 people. 17 people between us and Imam Bukhari. 17 people. That's it. You, we have their names, like you see in front of us. 17 people between Imam Bukhari quoting hadith of the Prophet ﷺ and us. Isn't that amazing? Okay, now, I ask you this question. Answer it. Would you like to be part of this chain? If you would like to be part of this chain, raise your hand. And I ask the sisters also to raise their hand. So inshallah ta'ala now, I will allow, we will give an opportunity for you to be part of that chain. And this is, I'll share with you a hadith. And these are known as the specific hadith known as musalsalat. Those hadith that were passed down from all the same, similar type of narration or senate, but they were passed down with a very specific method. So we have, for example, this book of Shawaliullah. This book is a compilation of all the hadith directly linking back to the Prophet ﷺ, approximately 40, in which the Prophet ﷺ did something with a companion, and that companion did something with his student, and on and on. For example, the Prophet ﷺ gives zamzam and a date, and then says a hadith. The Sahabi gives a student a zamzam and a date, and says a hadith. The Sahabi gives a zamzam and a date, and says a hadith. On and on. Another one, for example, amazing, I was in Umrah and I read this hadith, it was amazing, one of the musalsalat. The Prophet ﷺ saying that go and make dua at the multazam, the area between Hajr al-Aswad and Kaaba. And your dua will be accepted and my dua has been accepted. I'm giving you the gist of the hadith, of course. He mentioned this to the Sahabi. And the Sahabi told the student that go make dua here, the Prophet ﷺ this, the Prophet ﷺ said this to me, and alhamdulillah, my dua also got accepted. One by one by one, all the way through all 14 centuries, every single student is learning from his teacher this hadith while the teacher is saying that this is what my teacher said, this is what his teacher said, and I also say this, I share this hadith with you, and I also tell you that I made dua at the multazam and my, my dua got accepted. Shaykh Zakiri Ahmadullah has, you know, has the ijazah for this. I mean, he said this hadith as well. So I'm going to be sharing with you today a hadith. And this is a hadith known as Musalsal bil Awaliyah. This hadith is known as the hadith that is mentioned in the first meeting or in the first gathering of hadith. So since this is definitely our first gathering where I'm sharing hadith with you based on my chain of narration and the teacher's chain of narration, this will inshallah fall in that same category. Where you can now, as you think and I read through this, you will be thinking that this took place for the past 14 centuries. This very exact same methodology was used by my teachers and their teachers and their teachers that when they met, this is the first hadith they shared. So Mufti Radha al-Haqsab, my ustad, the first day when I st started the Dora class, the last year, final year class, in the first period of Sahih al-Bukhari, he began his lesson with this hadith. Okay? So I will read the way we read the full chain of narration. At the end, you will get permission for this hadith. So let me just give you the meaning of the hadith. That is Ar-Rahimun. This is the hadith. Ar-Rahimun yarhamuhumur Rahman. The merciful people. The merciful people the most, merciful, the most merciful shall have mercy upon them. The merciful people, the most merciful shall have mercy upon them. Tabarak wa ta'ala. Ar-Rahimun, Yarahumun, Rahman, Tabarak wa ta'ala. Irhamu man fil ard. Have mercy on the dwellers of the earth. Yarhamkum man fil sama. Then the ones in the heaven will have mercy upon you. This hadith was heard by Amr ibn As radiallahu anhu. From the Prophet ﷺ. Abdullah ibn Amr al from the Prophet ﷺ. He met him, and this was the first hadith he heard from the Prophet. 
بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم حدثني مفتي رضاء الحق قال حدثني عمين قل قال حدثني نذر الحسن قال حدثني عبد الرحمن بانيبتي قال حدثني شاء إسحاق قال حدثني شاء عبد العزيز قال حدثني شاه ولي الله قال حدثني السيد عمر من لفظه تجاه قبر النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وهو أول حديث سمعته منه قال حدثني جدي الشيخ عبد الله بن سالم البصري قال وهو أول حديث سمعته منه قال حدثنا الشيخ يحيى بن محمد الشهير باشاوي قال وهو أول حديث سمعناه منه قال أخبرنا به الشيخ سعيد بن إبراهيم الجزائري المفتي الشهير بقدوة قال وهو أول حديث سمعته منه قال أخبرنا به الشيخ المحقق سعيد بن محمد المقري قال وهو أول حديث سمعته منه عن الولي الكامل أحمد حجي الوهراني قال وهو أول حديث سمعته منه قال عن شيخ الإسلام العارف بالله تعالى سيدي إبراهيم التازي قال وهو أول حديث سمعته منه قال قرأته على المحدث الرباني أبي الفتاح محمد بن أبي بكر بن الحسن المراغي قال وهو أول حديث قرأته عليه قال سمعت من لفظ شيخنا زين الدين عبد الرحيم بن حسين العراقي قال وهو أول حديث سمعته منه قال حدثنا أبو الفتح محمد بن محمد بن إبراهيم البكري الميدومي قال وهو أول حديث سمعته منه قال أخبرنا النجيب أبو الفرج عبد اللطيف بن عبد المنعم الحراني قال وهو أول حديث سمعته منه قال أخبرنا الحافظ أبو الفرج عبد الرحمن بن الجوزي قال وهو أول حديث سمعته منه قال أخبرنا أبو سعيد إسماعيل بن أبي صالح النيشابوري قال وهو أول حديث سمعته منه قال أخبرنا والدي أبو صالح أحمد بن عبد الملك المؤذن قال وهو أول حديث سمعته منه قال أخبرنا أبو طاهر محمد بن محمد محمش الزبادي قال وهو أول حديث سمعته منه قال أخبرنا أبو حامد أحمد بن محمد بن يحيى البزار قال وهو أول حديث سمعناه منه قال حدثنا عبد الرحمن بن بشر بن حكم قال وهو أول حديث سمعته منه قال أخبرنا سفيان بن عيينة قال وهو أول حديث سمعته منه عن عمر بن دينار عن عبي قابوس مولى عبد الله بن عمر بن العاص عن عبد الله بن عمر العاص رضي الله تعالى عنهما أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال الراحمون يرحمهم الرحمن تبارك وتعالى ارحموا من في الأرض يرحمكم من في السماء At the end of the narration the scholars then they give ijazah so that you are part of this chain and they and I will share with you the method of how our teachers gave us permission and this is specifically to the, who, those who raised their hands and inshallah those who came later we intend we expect that you are also part of that uh, gathering of people who, into, who, who desire to be part of this golden chain and so I will read in Arabic وَقَدْ إِسْتَجَازَنِي الْمُجْتَمِعُونَ فَأَجَزْتُهُمْ إِجَازَةً خَاصَةً فِي هَذَا الْحَدِيثَ النَّبَوِيَ الشَّرِيفِ روايةً بشرطه المعتبر, المعتبر لدى أهل الأثر وسنده المعروف لدى أهل الإختصاص والمتصل إلى سيدنا محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم which means this group of people who are present here asked me to be part of this chain so I have given them permission a very specific permission in this one hadith in the narration of this hadith following along all the conditions that are understood and are accepted by the scholars of hadith and with the a chain of narration that is known to the people of this science. And that chain which goes directly back to the Prophet So my respected brothers and sisters, you are also inshallah ta'ala part of this unbroken chain. And inshallah ta'ala what is so important in this unbroken chain that we can only hope that we'll be raised with those who are at the top of this chain. With Rasulullah sallallahu and with the Sahaba on the Day of Judgment. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to keep us steadfast 
on this milla, on the milla of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allahumma Allahumma lakal hamdu kulluhu wa lakal shukru kulluhu. Allahumma la nuhsi thanaan alayka anta kama athnita ala nafsik. Ya hayu wa qayyum. La ilaha illahu al-halimu al-kareem. Subhanallahi rabbil ashil azim. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Allahumma inna nasalika mujibati rahmatik. Wa azaima maghfiratik. Wal ghanimata min kulli bir. Wal salamata min kulli ism. اللهم لا تدع لنا ذنبا إلا غفرته ولا هما إلا فرجته ولا مريضا إلا شفيته ولا دينا إلا قضيته ولا ضالا إلا هديته ولا سائلا إلا أعطيته ولا حاجة من حوائج الدنيا والآخرة هي لك رضا ولنا فيها صلاح إلا عنتنا ويسرتها لنا يا أرحم الراحمين اللهم اغفر لأمة محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ما تقدم من ذنبها وما تأخر وما أسرت وما أعلنت اللهم ارحم أمة محمد اللهم تجاوز عن أمة محمد اللهم انصر أمة محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم زدنا علما وعملا اللهم زدنا علما وعملا ربي زدنا علما ربنا زدنا علما ربنا زدنا علما اللهم إنا نسألك علما نافعا ورزقا واسعا وشفاء من كل داء اللهم إنا نعوذ بك من علم لا ينفع ومن قلب لا يخشع ومن عين لا تدمع ومن دعوة لا يستجاب لها ومن دعاء لا يسمع بها أو الله أو الله we ask you to make this gathering a means of our forgiveness أو الله allow us to leave this gathering يا الله in a state that our sins have been turned into righteous deeds يا الله أو الله allow us to leave this gathering as completely changed individuals أو الله allow us to leave this gathering having repented from all our major and minor sins. Oh Allah, allow us to leave this gathering inspired. Oh Allah, oh Allah, oh Allah, we ask you, much has been said in this past two hours. Oh Allah, whatever was true and right and correct, it was indeed from you. Oh Allah, so accept it. Oh Allah, if I misspoke or anything was misrepresented, Ya Allah, or was not, well, it was not proper for me to say, Oh Allah, I ask you forgiveness for that, Ya Allah, for indeed it was from my nafs and my shaitan. Oh Allah, we ask you, Ya Allah, to accept this whole gathering for ilm. Make all of these brothers and sisters, Ya Allah, students of knowledge. Oh Allah, make them the servants of knowledge. Oh Allah, make them the attendants of knowledge. O oh Allah, make them the, ya Allah, the caretakers of knowledge. O oh Allah, put the love of knowledge, the love of scholars, the love of institutes, the love of books and, and scholarship work in their hearts, Ya Allah. O oh Allah, allow our students who are studying in this institute to become the best, in, Ya Allah. O oh Allah, make them, Ya Allah, allow them to be the flag bearers, Ya Allah. O oh Allah, please use them for the service of mankind. O oh Allah, allow the, the golden era of Islam to come back again. O oh Allah, revive the Islamic sciences once again. O oh Allah, through the Islamic sciences, give us dominance in all the other sciences as well. Oh Allah, bring us back the days in we're, when we are leaders, Ya Allah. We are tired of becoming followers, Ya Allah. Make us leaders once again, Ya Allah. We were meant to become leaders, Ya Allah. Our deen was meant to lead, Ya Allah. Oh Allah, give us the qualities of leadership once again, Ya Allah. Oh Allah, we ask you, Ya Allah. We ask you, Ya Allah, to grant all of us your ma'rifah and your understanding. Oh Allah, let us not leave this world without knowing you very well. Oh Allah, increase us in, in our awe and our fear and, uh, of you. And oh Allah, increase us in our love for you, Ya Allah. Oh Allah, increase our, and fill our hearts with the love of the Prophet and the love of hadith, Ya Allah, and the respect of the hadith. Oh Allah, now that all of us are part of this golden chain, oh Allah, save us, save us, save us, Ya Allah, from becoming, Ya Allah, a black spot on this chain, Ya Allah. Oh Allah, oh Allah, from ruining the image of this chain, Ya Allah. Save us, Ya Allah, from misrepresenting this Mubarak silsila, Ya Allah. Oh Allah, let all of us, Ya Allah, become true representatives of this chain of narration, Ya Allah, of this chain that goes back to all the way to you, Ya Allah, that goes all the way back to you, Ya Allah, allow us to become proper representatives of the Prophet ﷺ and the Sahaba, Ya Allah. O oh Allah, remove all the misunderstandings from the minds of our fellow citizens, Ya Allah. Allow us to portray the Islam, Islam properly, Ya Allah. O oh Allah, protect us, protect our youth, Ya Allah. Protect our youth from leaving the fold of Islam. Protect them from having doubts, Ya Allah. Protect them from temptations, Ya Allah. O oh Allah, increase and protect all the masajid, madaris, Islamic institutes, the effort of da'wah, and all the other good works that are taking place throughout the world. Protect them from all evils, Ya Allah. Protect them from, from Ya Allah, insincerity, Ya Allah. Grant those who are doing the work, any type of work, make them sincere. And Allah 
allow them, Ya Allah, allow them to do it the way the Prophet ﷺ did. O oh Allah, save us from all types of innovations. O oh Allah, save us from all types of innovations. Let our work of deen be completely consistent with that deen which the Prophet ﷺ left behind. O oh Allah, we love the Prophet, yet we haven't seen him. We love the Quran, yet we haven't seen it being revealed. O oh Allah, raise us on the day of judgment with the Prophet ﷺ, with the Sahaba, with the Siddiqeen, with the Shuhada, with the Salihin. O oh Allah, grant us death on the kalima, La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. O oh Allah, save us from slipping at the last moments. Save us from slipping at the last moments, Ya Allah. Let our last moments of our life be the last, best moments of our life. O oh Allah, grant us a death of martyrdom in the city of the Prophet and grant us a chance to be buried in, in Jannatul Baqi'ah, Ya Allah. And make us amongst those people who will enjoy the intercession of the Prophet first and foremost on the day of judgment, Ya Allah. O oh Allah, those brothers and sisters who've asked us for dua or who have a right upon us from amongst our teachers, our parents and friends. O oh Allah, or those who have any needs within their hearts, permissible desires. O oh Allah, fulfill all of their permissible desires. Fulfill all of their needs, Ya Allah. Subhan Rabbi Rabbil Izzati Amma Yasifoon Wa Salamun Ala Al Mursaleen Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen